Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. We're really excited to bring you the trailer for Crime and Scandal, hosted by Levi Page. We're big fans of this podcast, and we think you will be too. Here's Crime and Scandal. Hi there, I'm Levi Page. I'm a journalist and host of the true crime podcast, Crime and Scandal. Join me every week as I take a deep dive into scandalous true crime stories and unsolved mysteries. On Crime and Scandal, I have episodes up on the shooting of Trayvon Martin, the young man shot to death by a trigger-happy neighborhood watchman in Florida, the Darley Routier murder case. A young woman is convicted in the 90s for the brutal stabbing death of her two children. Could she actually be innocent? Plus, I examined the child abuse allegations that followed pop star Michael Jackson for decades before his death. Are you interested yet? Those are just some of the topics I tackle. If you want to start listening, search Crime and Scandal in your Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe now. That's Crime and Scandal. If you are just tuning in, we encourage you to go back and listen from episode one. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. To submit a theory, a tip, a question, or comment, please email us at tips at directappealpodcast.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 732-510-0996. Last time on Direct Appeal, we discussed the closing arguments at Melanie's trial and Melanie's feelings of defeat after Joe gave his closing argument. The jury found Melanie guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced her to life in prison, where she has remained since. Due to unforeseen circumstances, we have to delay the release of our intended episode for two weeks, but we aren't leaving you empty-handed either. This week, we give you our first question-and-answer session with Melanie. For those of you who have not submitted questions, don't worry. You still have until July 31st, as we intend to do a second session with Melanie in the near future. For those of you who have submitted questions, here are Melanie's answers. And just to be clear, Melanie is hearing these questions for the first time as I read them. To accept this call, press 5 now. To decline this call, hang up. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Okay, you there? Yep, I'm here. So let's get started. These questions were written in from various listeners. Question one. Could the RX, which I guess is prescription, for chloral hydrate be called in, or did it require a doctor's signature? Well, we're talking about, what, 2000? We're talking about 15 years ago, and... I know when I was practicing, um, certain medications that now you would absolutely require some sort of, you know, script or triplicate form um, were call-ins back in the day. Uh, Chloral hydrate certainly would have been one, for instance, when Brad called in the Xanax prescription for me. I mean, if you take a drug screen, that's, that's a benzodiazepine. So stuff that now would absolutely require something handwritten. Back in the day, no, it did not. It could have absolutely been a call-in. 
Right. That's right. And Brad did call that in, correct, for you? He called in the Xanax. He did yes. not write that correct. in. That's okay. Correct. All right. Um, and would chloral hydrate be in the same category as Xanax? Honestly, I don't know what the what the active ingredient is or if that would even trigger a drug screen. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, certainly it's not like, you know, category like OxyContin or any of the things that you hear about. Right. Now. But honestly, I, I'm not even sure. It's, it's so infrequently used, as I'm sure you've heard people say, um, you know, throughout, I know Dr. Scott's testimony. You know, it's something back then, I I don't know what it would trigger on a, like a, a urine test or any type of drug screen, but it's something that I know, um, most certainly could have been called in. Pretty much anything could have been back then. Okay. Um, Melanie, next question. Did you take a polygraph? And if so, what were the results? Uh, I did take a polygraph, actually, and I passed. Um, That is something that my attorney made public um, in sort of a cagey way uh, at trial. He made a motion for that information to be admitted, knowing full well that polygraphs are inadmissible, but in doing so, he got it out there and got it on the record. It certainly, it was not in the presence of the jury, but ultimately a couple of jurors uh, acknowledged that they had read that somewhere in some of the, uh, the news coverage. Are there, um, are there written, like do you have actual printed results of that? I don't. Um, it was somebody that Joe used. It wasn't like the state's polygrapher or anything like that. I don't have a written report. I don't know if anyone, if one was generated. Again, I know Joe made the representation to the court, so there's probably something somewhere, but I've not seen it. Got it. Okay. Have you personally ever tried to get your cell phone records? Have I tried to? That's one I haven't heard before. The cell phone records honestly when we started to personally like have I called the company and tried to get them yes no we did try our side tried via subpoena um, to get and when you say cell phone records I'm assuming you mean the um, the tower records we have call records of you know who I called when but what's of interest obviously is the cell tower locations we did try that our team um, did put in a subpoena and we were told at that point, because a couple of years had gone by, they no longer had the data. When was that? What year? That was, that would have been probably 2006. At least that's, that's my understanding from, from Joe and Steve, that the subpoena was, you know, was unsuccessful. I do remember having that conversation with them, though. Obviously, it would have been great had we had it. Right, of course. How do you know the prosecution couldn't get your cell tower records? Did your team ever ask, or are you just assuming they didn't because they didn't introduce them at trial? Oh, I'm uh, I'm stopping just short of saying I believe that the state could have gotten them and possibly even did get them. I'm having a very difficult time believing that when two telephones are on the same account, you get records for one phone and not the other. Now, by the time we ask, you know, they ask maybe in 2005, how long that that information is is kept or stored, Uh, you know, and again, this is 15 years ago, I don't know. They asked, we don't get around to asking until a year later when we start seeing their discovery and all of this stuff. So we, we say, okay, well, these records are missing. Let's go ask for them ourselves. Now an entire other year has elapsed. So do I know for sure if my team asked for them? Honestly, I can't say that. There were 40,000 pieces of discovery flying around that office, and it was, uh, to, 
be perfectly plain a shit show when it came to the volume of stuff that was going on. When it comes to the state, I have a very difficult time believing that somehow my records were not looked at. I can guarantee, had my phone indicated my presence anywhere in the state of Virginia, we would have been hearing about nothing but that at the trial. So I'm basically saying I think the state had the records and didn't turn them over. Did your team ever ask the state for those records specifically? Did they ever ask the state? That I don't know. That's a good question, and that I don't know. There was so much back and forth with this. It, it, honestly, I, I'd be lying if I said I had any idea. I mean, you would think that somebody would have, but at this point I've learned not to make assumptions like that. So, again, the answer, unfortunately, is that I don't know. I know we put our own subpoena out there, and, again, by that time that was not like What do you think is the strongest piece of exculpatory evidence in your case? Well, that's an interesting question. In terms of what I think would be the most exculpatory, honestly, some of the DNA that's not tested, it might provide an answer, it might not. Obviously, anything that's, you know, in those bags in terms of my husband's DNA or mine, you know, that's not really a big deal because there there are suitcases, even, you know, family, stuff like that. But beyond that, were there to be some form of, of DNA evidence that came up, I think that would certainly be um, helpful. But in terms of what is out there right now, I think the fact that there is absolutely no crime scene and the fact that the gun appears to not be a match, basically, from everything that, that we've heard, the, the two, the forensics there, I think, um, you know, it's hard to prove a negative. It's hard to prove that somebody didn't do something. But to be able to, you know, the paucity of any real scientific evidence in that house pretty much exclaims that it, nothing happened there. And the, the gun not even being a match further casts doubt on, on the state theory. Okay. Did the CEO of Taurus testify at trial or was that later on? That was later on when we went and filed uh, what's called a PCR, post-conviction relief. And it's basically the state's equivalent of a writ of habeas corpus. You go before the trial court and you say, I'm wrongly convicted. Here's, you know, my evidence. And what we did was submitted the record that Taurus had changed their website, that it had initially said, you know, five lands and grooves, and now they've changed it to five or six in rebuttal to the things that we were saying, the state got an affidavit from the CEO of Taurus. He did not testify. They submitted an affidavit from him. Our desire was to get an evidentiary hearing so that he could be subpoenaed and that he could testify and we could then cross-examine him. Because the way it's out there, he puts out an affidavit, he says what he says, and nobody can question that. Okay, next question. Why didn't you cancel lunch and reschedule with Celine on the day you were in Delaware as opposed to driving for hours to get there? That's a good question. Um, honestly, I I needed to see my friend at that point. She was the person that I had, you know, relied on when it came to, you know, the initial you know, him leaving, etc. 
also, to be very frank with you, she loaned me a bit of money that day to help me with the, the divorce and what was going to be a relocation. We needed to be out of our apartment, uh, regardless of whether we were you know, moving into a house or not. We needed to be out of our apartment at the end of that month. And now everything had been called into to question. Again, I certainly wasn't going to move into that house. Where am I going to go? I mean, just filing the divorce complaint alone was something like, like $10,000. So even though I still had a little bit of money left over from the closing, you know, I basically, Selena's, you know, for better or worse, Selena's like my sister. I, I, I needed my sister. Got it. Okay. Let's see. Had you ever gone to Delaware to buy furniture prior to that time? No, I had not. Uh, I had, however, had a conversation, and of course, I cannot recall with whom exactly. It was a patient of mine. Um, We were talking about, you know, homes and such, and this had been prior to any of this happening. And she mentioned an area in Delaware that had a number of, you know, wholesale furniture places, furniture warehouses. It's like, you know... I don't want to say it's the furniture district, but it's kind of the, you know, the equivalent of that. They're in a very sort of finite area. So I knew of the area um, ahead of time, and that's how I, you know, I had the information and looked everything up, got the names and the places. You know, and at this point, I'm getting a divorce. So we're selling everything in my mind, and I'm going to need furniture. I'm going to need to relocate. You know, this is where my head's at, where my mindset is at, and my mother even encouraged me, you know, go, get out, go shopping a little. Delaware is not the hike that it sounds like from where my parents are located in South Jersey. In fact, if I were to go to Ikea in Elizabeth, which everybody who lives in the tri-state area, if anybody's listening from this area, you all know where Ikea is in Elizabeth, the difference in travel time was maybe like 20 minutes. So it wasn't this huge you know, undertaking or excursion. But the short answer to the question is no. No, I had not previously gone there. And how far of a drive was it from your parents' house, to clarify? It was, I want to say, an hour and 35 hour and like 40 sticks in my head and with no traffic ikea is an hour and 20 uh, away from where my parents are you know they're fairly far south in new jersey and i think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that they think of woodbridge or you know where i was living at the time but i was staying with my parents so okay why did you throw away bill's clothes so quickly if you were divorcing didn't you think you would want his clothes um, actually, I was bagging them up, and I, was, I wasn't even necessarily looking to throw them away at that point. They were, they were bagged up. People, Celine's cousin, um, I want to say Jason, no, it's not Jason, it's Justin, um, had been there helping with the move that weekend. We bagged everything up initially because we had to be out of that apartment. I didn't have a choice. We, at the time that everybody was there and executing that move, we had in fact found out that Bill was deceased. So my, you know, now we have all these clothes and bags, well, I'm going to donate them. And instead of donating them, the guys who were there at the move, you know, wanted them. So, fine, take them at that point. I wasn't even present at the move. But again, they were bagged up previously because we had to move out of that house. If they had actually been in the garbage prior to the move, Justin wouldn't even have gotten them. So they were just, they were packed 
at the time. Got it. Okay. Do you know if there was a drive-through at the pharmacy, the Walgreens, where the chloral hydrate was picked up? That's not the one that I usually use, but if memory serves, I think I do believe that there was at that one. I would have to say yes. I can't be a thousand percent sure, but if memory serves, I believe there was. Okay. Got it. Why did the gun become so important to Bill while he was worried about financing and the closing? The timing seems odd. How long had he been asking for you to get him a gun? He had been asking me since earlier that year. Uh, We had had issues with um, the headlights being stolen, and that was something that just kind of raised the conversation with him one day. Well, if we had a gun in the house, well, no, what are you going to do, shoot it out the window? Well, you know, I used to shoot back in the day, blah, blah, and then Bill had sort of an obsessive nature, so if he got on something, he kept going on it. And this is, um, honestly, this is testimony that George Lowry could have and was prepared to give to the court, that he had spoken, even to him, about it earlier that year, and about me getting one for him. Uh, You know, of course the timing seems, the the timing is horrific. It's the absolute worst concatenation of events that you can possibly imagine. You know, uh, if you look at it. You have 60 seconds remaining. Oh, sorry about that. Um, But no, I would say, you know, if I had to nail down a time frame, I'm going to say like late 2003, but mostly early 2004. Okay. Why did it become so important, that first part, while he was worried about the financing? Let me... Do you want me to call you back since we're going to get cut off? Yeah, okay. I'll repeat it again. Thanks. All right. All right. I'll call you right back. Okay. Bye-bye. Hi. Okay. Let Hello. me let me go back to this question again since we got interrupted. Of course, so. it took me like seven times to get a line out. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, okay. Why did the gun become so important to Bill while he was worried about financing and the closing of the house? Why? Well, you know, the thing is with him, um, with Bill, when Bill wanted something, and when Bill was on a on a tear, as it were, when he was sort of obsessed with something. I mean, obviously, the financing for the house is, anybody would be obsessed with that. And it's the last couple of days, and you don't have everything. I think, um, for me, it became, you know, his, his desire for that. It was a way to, it was a way to shut him up. I mean, point blank, it, there's no nice way to say it. It was a way to give him something that he had been nagging about that would possibly get him to just, you know, for five seconds, um, lay off. And why it became so important to him during that time, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I can tell you that, you know, the whole headlight thing is sort of what precipitated all of this and that it built with time. But, you know, for him, maybe it was just an issue of, you know, wanting something he could control at that point. I I don't know. It's supposition on my part. But for me, I think it was just something to to calm him down and to quiet him, him down. Did he ever mention wanting a gun because you were moving to a bigger house that was more um, rural? You know, he mentioned that, and it, it was kind of funny because that was an argument we ended up having. You know, okay, you want a gun because people are stealing our headlights. Well, now we're moving out into, you know, really kind of a bucolic setting. You know, what are we doing? Are we killing deer out here? You know, it's... He, he just wanted it, and when he just wanted something, it didn't matter kind of what the background reason was. 
um, he did mention that that argument. Yes, but you know, Phil had Phil had a habit of presenting you know multiple arguments again if he wanted something. And I'm sorry, it sounds terrible. I, I feel like you know I'm sitting here just like slamming him and, and condemning him, and that's not. He's not here to give his side. He's not here to state his truth or or his facts. So mine are, you know, a little tarnished, a little jaded between, you know, time and emotion and and stuff like that. So to be completely fair, you know, it's probably not for me to say exactly what his motivation was. I know for me it was just to to give him something that that would quiet him a little bit, you know, when he nagged. You just, you wanted to, to shut him up. Okay, fair enough. It was from your perception, understanding. I think we all understand that you can't be, you couldn't have been no, in Bill's I, head. No, I know, but I mean, it sounds like there are times that I'm like, God, you know, this is, I mean, regardless of, of what our issues are and were, and, you know, it's, I feel badly sometimes because I'm, I'm saying it all from my perspective, and he's... He's not here to offer his. He's not here to, to, you know, offer a different point of view or to say, you know, no, my wife is crazy or, you know, it's so, I understand that, I mean, obviously, necessarily, it's me answering these questions, but, you know, I feel badly sometimes, like I, you know, I try to be even killed. I try to, Mm -hmm. you know equivocate a little bit about it and say, well, from his point of view, you know, I try to be like the consummate you know, back and forth, weigh it out, his side, my side, and sometimes that's hard to do with, with stuff like this. Sometimes it's impossible, really. I'm but sure. that's my best answer. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. What other bank accounts did you and Bill have? Did you have a 401k, college account, separate accounts, etc.? Uh, at that time, we had a, you know, joint savings and checking. We had had trading accounts that I believe one of them was still open, though it didn't have much of anything in it. Um, there was a period of time when, when he was doing some, some stock trading. But at the time of his death, he had his 401k or retirement. I had mine and just the the checking and savings. We didn't have any, you know, sort of investment accounts or anything beyond that. Okay. Um, Did you receive any money from life insurance when Bill died? No, I didn't. Um, The only life insurance that we had, we had not gotten around to getting the life insurance, um, you know, it's kind of insurance on the house that like one of the partners dies and it pays off the mortgage. We didn't have anything like that. Um, So what he basically had was standard through his employer, the state of New Jersey. And it was, you know, I think two or three, it was like three times his his annual salary. I had drawn up paperwork to just put whatever it was in in trust for the boys. Um, That was it. I didn't want any of that. Did Bill have life insurance on you? Not to my knowledge. He was, uh, we found an insurance 
salesman's card among some of his possessions, and at one point, I believe, I think he might have even testified at trial, that Bill had come to him asking about insurance policies on the both of us, but had not purchased uh, them. And I know I like I didn't have a physical or fill out any forms or anything like that, somehow. How much did you spend in total on your criminal defense? Wow. Um, I'm going to say bail notwithstanding. Let's let's not count bail for right. a moment. Easily, without bail, I mean, a half a million dollars off the top of my head, easily. Um, and, I mean, that was everything my my family ever had, anything my parents ever had, they liquidated. You know, also, at the time, even though I don't really want to talk about this, there's also a family court case going on at the time. So that was also something that required counsel and court appearances and costs, you know. That in and of itself was probably well over $100,000. So I'm, I'm going to say easily half a million when you put bail and other things into it. You know, I you could get to a million fairly easily. Okay. Which is staggering when I think of it. it, it it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. People don't realize what it actually uh-huh. costs, too. And especially when, well, no. you didn't get you didn't and, get your return either, so. Fun. Right. And, it well, and would have been worth it then. And with those, right. And with those funds, we still ran out of money. Even with that, I think it's important to note that we got to a point where Joe restructured that retainer to say he would take over, you know, paying experts because we had run out of funds at that point. Not only are you talking about money, but you have to liquefy this money. So this cash, you need to be able to write this check out of your, you know, out of your account. And so you're talking about breaking down 401ks, investment accounts, taking penalties, stuff like that. It's just, it's, it's staggering. Did anyone establish the position Bill was in when shot? For example, was he standing or laying down? Um, they did not establish that, at least the state didn't, uh, and to be fair, nor did we attempt to. They did say that the, it was at close range, but like within, if I remember the report correctly, something like three to four feet. Like it wasn't like point blank, there was no gunshot residue or powder on him, no burn from that. Whether that would still have been intact, I would imagine there would still be some some identifying, you know, factor, even though, you know, the body was in the condition um, that it was in. But it was, you know, I don't want to say point blank, because point blank is like put a gun to your head, you know, or to your chest. There was nothing like that identified. Again, the distance I remember reading was somewhere in the area of about four feet, so close range, but not. And as to standing or laying, there was really no angle um, established, and I don't know if part of that is due to, you know, the state that the body was in, um, or whether that was something that just wasn't asked. It's a good question. It's a really good question, I think, actually, if if could be established. Mm-hmm. I think it's an excellent question. So, have you ever shot a gun before in your life? Never. Never. That's an easy one. That was an easy one. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
We have more. Don't worry. We're we're not done. We've got plenty more. Wow. Um, okay. That's amazing. I'm like, I was going to ask you, how many do we have here? And I feel like, you know, and I, I apologize to everybody that's listening if I'm like stammering or, or whatever. It's well, obviously, you know, stressful and anxiety provoking, you know, doing something like this, but it's, it's so important and trying to be as transparent as possible as in a very kind of on-the-spot way. So I yeah. thank everybody for bearing with me. But I think it's also important for people, these questions are going to help people, um, it can either help with tips or it can help people to form their conclusions. Absolutely. They, you know, this is what people Absolutely. think they need to... Um, and I'm happy to answer it. Yeah. Ask anything. Yep. Well, we're going strong still. Now, this one's an odd one. I don't really understand it, but was there okay. any mental competency examinations done? Okay. Um, mental competency, I'm assuming, um, on me. I think uh, so. No. There was no, there was never any mental competency or never any psychological um, thing done, at least not in the context of the criminal case. Certainly in family court matters, those are, are different, but there's nothing in terms of like, you know, is she competent to stand trial or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Um, okay. So these are some hard questions. I'm just letting you know. There's some relationship okay. questions. Okay. Had you ever thought about divorcing divorcing Bill prior to the night you had the fight? It was something that I think both of us. I mean, I. It's something that came up in conversation. Not hey, should we get a divorce? But little little snipes here and there. Hey, just think this is the last time you'll have to move before the divorce. I remember him saying that to me very clearly. I mean, we both we both knew that we were in trouble. But were there active plans um, at that point? No. Did I think that's where it was going to end up eventually? Probably. But he and I had not spoken about it ourselves. You know, in terms of. Um, you know, for for myself, again, I think that's probably where it was going to end up, but it wasn't my intent at that point to, you know, let's buy this house and file for divorce. No, let's buy this house and, and see what's up. And is divorce part of the equation? It absolutely, you know, it was it was on my mind. Right. To be completely honest, it was on my mind because we were having problems. And obviously, you know, as evidenced by my own infidelity, I, I certainly was not the best wife in the world either. So, you know, yes. Okay. Yes, it was. Okay. Do you think that Bill knew that you were having a relationship with someone else? If you had asked me that question 12 years ago, I would have said no, I didn't. Now, however, due to some of the computer searches that have been found, you know, if you hit on a a website called unfaithfulwife.net, I'm thinking that, you know, it's at least a thought in his mind. He had never confronted me um, or anything like that. Certainly our relationship was not um, what it had once been. We were both very, you know, aware of that. But at that time, to my knowledge, I would have said no. I didn't think that he thought that. I don't think it would have come as a surprise to him, but Bill actually used to complain a lot more about my um, my hours uh, at work and that, you know, which I guess indirectly ties in, although I never really worked exorbitant hours. I worked 37 and a half hours a week. 
Um, but he definitely wanted me home more. And when I was home, he didn't like that I was on the computer or working or stuff like that. So that was more of his his beef. But again, nothing he said to me directly, no. Okay, this is an interesting one. Do you think that Brad Miller really believed you were guilty, or do you think he just cooperated to save his hide? I've, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I think I, I think he cooperated to save his hide. I think, though, that the police, because they are permitted, it is perfectly legal and accepted practice for them to lie to you during the course of an investigation. I can only imagine what they said to him. Um, what did he end up thinking? I mean, if he ended up thinking I was a murderer, he was, you know, not to be crazy, he was still sleeping with me um, at the end. So I, I don't know. I don't think he wanted to believe that. I think they did their best to make him believe it. But the cooperation, and, you know, to be perfectly fair, you know, does it piss me off? It does. I, I understand it. I don't understand continuing the relationship and not saying anything um, to me. But, you know, I, I think I think he wanted to believe me innocent. But, again, they did their best, and they did a fair job of it. Okay. Oh, all right. So this one makes me feel a little uncomfortable to ask, just so you know. But I'm going to. Um other than Brad, did you have any other relationships while you were married to Bill? Right before I was married to Bill, yes. So overlapping into the engagement, yes. Yes, I did. With one person, uh, you know, again, I, I, I don't even know what to say that could possibly justify that other than you know, us having issues, and this is my passive-aggressive way of acting out, which is really shitty, and for me to sit here and try to justify it, it's just going to, you know, sound ridiculous, but the answer to that question is, is yes. Was it like some ongoing stream of, no, it was one individual before I was married. Right. Understood. But while, I guess what, what they're actually really asking, too, while you were seeing Brad, was there, any, was there anyone else during the last couple of years? Or? No. No, no. Okay. No, Brad was, Brad, when, when Brad came into the picture, that was quite enough. Um, and, and more than should have been there, quite frankly. But yeah, no, that was it. That was it. Well, I also wonder if that, the question is being asked because they're looking for other suspects, to be honest. I don't know if that was meant That's to be. possible. Has anyone in your family ever doubted your innocence? No. Uh, I mean, certainly not that anybody has ever said to me. Now, when you say family, I do have an estranged stepbrother, and I honestly don't know what he thinks or feels. I know that he contributed uh, to a book that was written about the case, and it wasn't particularly friendly, but it didn't, you know, he, he was not around us, so he wouldn't have been able to, uh, you know, I think he met my husband like once. He wasn't even at my wedding, so he's not somebody that has particularly fond things to say about me, but beyond that, no, I've, I've never had an issue with that. Do you know of any other suspects in this case? Did anyone ever interview Bill's friends who lived in Chesapeake or Virginia? Uh, to my knowledge, the friends that were uh, local to the area in which he was found had a couple of interviews. They were the people who identified his body. 
uh, so they obviously were interviewed by police at that point, and I believe they were interviewed subsequently, uh, at least I know that, that John was, about when his last contact um, with Bill had been. There are a couple of you know police reports out there about that. Were they looked at as suspects? I, I don't believe so. I don't believe that they, they ever were. You know, Virginia kind of didn't identify any suspects, even though they interviewed me. After that, it kind of just lay there, just kind of died, and it was then it was brought up to New Jersey, clearly with me in the uh, in the target space. But as for them, no, I don't believe that they were ever really evaluated as potential suspects. This is a good one. Who do you think killed Bill? <laughs> That's, that's a really good one. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, honestly, at, at this point, you know, we're starting to, I don't want to say develop theories, but we're starting to kind of kick ideas around. I always assumed that it had something either to do with his gambling, something he was doing on the side. It could have been a woman he was seeing on the side, you know, the wrong with the wrong husband, the wrong boyfriend. Can I have, my mind has literally been open to anything and everything because the whole progression of events, along with where he ultimately was found, it, it really flies in the face of common sense to think that somebody, anybody, would kill someone and drive hundreds of miles away with them to dump them over a very public bridge. Something else went on here. Whether that body went into the water from a boat, what you know, there there are a bunch of of different theories with little teeny shreds of evidence to kind of point in that direction. There are PVC shavings, for instance, found in the bags with the body. PVC is a hard plastic that you would find in pipes. Well, they checked the pipes in my house, and it didn't come from there. However, the cutting board of a boat, possibly. You know, things like this. But the more, honestly, that we look, and I'm, I'm not going to sit there and point a finger and name a name at anybody because, first of all, I wouldn't want something to happen to somebody else like, like has been done to me. But there are, um, there are rumblings and there are stirrings of the fact that maybe this didn't have anything to do with New Jersey and maybe this had more to do with the locality in which he was found. And I'll just, you know, say that because I, I don't want to say more not having any information. It would be it would be irresponsible of me, and it would be doing pretty much the same shit that was done to me, which I don't want to do. Absolutely understood on that part. Um, I just want to clarify, though, when you say that, you, you just mean you think that it's more, or now you come to believe that it is more likely that um, Bill was actually murdered in Virginia rather than New Jersey? Correct. Correct. Okay. I mean, and if you... To just sit there and think about it. Who would drive hundreds of miles with a body in the back? You could get pulled over. You could get a flat tire. You could, you know, get into an accident. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But again, typically, you know, somebody is found not too far from where it is they've, they've you know, they've died. So I, I don't, the answer is I don't know. If I, if I had a name, if I knew, uh, trust me, I would I would be on top of that. But again, there are some rumblings, so there is some there is some hope, perhaps, that something may be associated even with this podcast or somebody listening, that somebody could potentially 
say something or know something, however small, that that might totally tip the scales or point things in another direction. Yes, absolutely. We're you know we keep asking for tips, and we will continue mm-hmm. to do so. Absolutely. A few more here. We had a few um, that relate to incarceration in prison, which you can or cannot answer okay. if you want. But um, I That's guess fine. people want to. One question someone has is, how many people have you met in prison that you believe are also wrongfully convicted? That's a great question. Um, the answer is, I would say probably, I mean, I've been here now 12 years, about to start my 13th, and I'm housed, obviously, with people who have comparable amounts of time. So you're talking about people who have murder cases or manslaughter, stuff like that. And I've probably met over the years easily a half a dozen people that, that could potentially be, you know, in here there's kind of a code, you don't talk about cases with one another. You don't talk about people's crimes. You don't, you know, maybe you ask time in a very vague way, but, you know, when they're high profile enough or when they, you know, when they've been televised or in the papers, you know, you, you know things. That's an interesting question. And that concludes our first question and answer session with Melanie. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of Direct Appeal. We will return in two weeks with our regularly scheduled episode. Direct Appeal is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga. The story arc was written by Megan Sachs. Music and underscore by Dessert Media. Recorded, mixed, and edited by Justin Crow at JC Studios. Special thanks to Alan Tuckerman, whose work was integral to this production. To view photos, evidence, and engage with other listeners, visit directappealpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have a tip, you can submit through our website or by emailing tips at directappealpodcast.com. You can also help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen. 